Well, good morning. Here we are again. I'm really glad that you're here today. I think that, I think that you know that on Sunday mornings, what we do here has eternal consequences. And that's a pretty daunting thing for the person who's preparing to speak, to realize that out of what God has given me to say, your lives may be changed forever. Today, I want to talk about real issues, stuff that's really affecting our lives. And I want to realize that I, I want to be like a doctor who's going through, the, through his rounds and is carefully and gently touching his patients. Otherwise, what I want to do today could feel like I'm running through the ward just ripping off bandages and tearing open wounds, and that is not what I want. But we're going to talk about some real stuff today, and it can hurt. And I want you to be warned ahead of time that I don't know what's going to happen. Now, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to freak you out here, and I'm not trying to freak myself out, but I'm going to be talking about fear today. And fear is a very real thing. And fear has crippled millions of lives ahead of us, and it may be touching ours. So let's see what God has for us today. But before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are your words. This is your heart. I pray that through the Holy Spirit today, you will apply it to each of our lives in the way that you intend, and that we will not leave this place unchanged. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm taking my passage briefly from John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The setting of this is late Sunday evening, that day of days when our Savior rose from the, from the dead had defeated death forevermore and sealed our salvation in him. What a day. Wouldn't that have been something to be there? But that is retrospect for us. For the disciples, a completely different experience. They had had probably the most terrible Passover week of their entire lives. And it had started so wonderfully. It had started on that first day when Jesus riding a donkey came into, the, into Jerusalem and the crowds were going wild and shouting, Hosanna! We just sang that. Hosanna to the son of David! And they were just like, wow, this is pretty cool. Because really, behind it all, the disciples really expected that someday they were going to be like on the ground floor of the new kingdom and they were going to be 
pretty important people. This was pretty exciting stuff. And then Jesus had interactions with the, with the Pharisees, and those didn't seem to go so well. Like he threw over the tables and upset the money changers. And that's not the way a king probably should behave, but they could put up with that. And then there were other interactions. And then Thursday came, and they went to the Passover meal with Jesus, and he was, he was different. And they were... They were confused. They didn't know what was going on. And then he said something about, one of you will betray me. And this was not where they wanted to go. And then somebody got up and left, and then they sang a hymn, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives, and then the betrayer came. Walked up to Jesus and kissed him, and the soldiers took him away, and they fled in fear. Not a great week. And then the horror of the trumped-up charges before the Sanhedrin. And then Jesus dragged before Pilate. And then beaten. And then hauled out to the place of death. And then nailed to a cross. They couldn't bear it. And then, that very morning, Somebody had come and said that they had seen this dead man alive. And now they were just overwhelmed. So they got together, but they locked the doors. Can you blame them? Can you blame them for that kind of mentality? Let's lock the doors. Maybe that'll help. Do you think that for one moment, if the Sanhedrin showed up at the door with their soldiers, that the door being locked would have stopped them? Can you imagine? (laughs) Oh, okay. A little thing like a lock is not going to stop them. Now, some of you may know, I work in the fire department, and we have a special tool for dealing with locked doors, and that tool is called a truckie. Hopefully you firemen in, the, in this, in this uh, audience today uh, can smile with me because truckies are, uh, are firefighters who usually ride on the ladder and they specialize in breaking into any building, anytime, anywhere. In fact, the better the challenge, the more they love it. And it seems to attract the biggest and the beefiest firefighters. And our joke is that they are knuckle-draggers. So when they walk, their arms are so... They're, okay, you know what I'm talking about. So truckies, their job is to break in. Now, I'm pretty sure that the soldiers of the first century had somebody in that group that would have been a truckie. And that a locked door, they would have been pushing people aside to get to it, to knock that thing down. So really... Locking the door was kind of a fantasy. It gave you a sense that you were secure, that you were safe. But in reality, it's not much of a barrier. So in my mind, locks can sometimes be a fantasy, a a dream, an illusion of safety that does not diminish the power of your fears. 
And sometimes that power of your fears is necessary to even live your life. Perhaps some of you had a parent or a grandparent, a brother, an uncle, a cousin, that participated in a war. Perhaps it was World War II, perhaps it was Vietnam, or any of the other uh, events that we, that we call police actions that really are war. Story after story of those folks when they came home is, look, once we got home, all we wanted to do was just forget that horror. We wanted to put that stuff in some deep, dark place, lock it away, and throw away the key. Now, that was before our understanding of post-traumatic stress disorder. That's a very real, very real thing. My daughter married a, a young man from the Midwest, and his grandfather had been in all of the island campaigns in World War II. There were at least five of them. He had participated in each one and never received a scratch. And yet when he came home, he was messed up because he had survived. All his friends were dead. You know the story. Couldn't hold a job. Couldn't live life without alcohol. Finally ended up finding someone that he could marry, that could put up with what he was dealing with. But he was a wounded man. He was a wounded man. Some of you have lived with people who could not keep all that awfulness from surfacing. And you watched someone you love struggle with life, get wiped out with depression, and be at the mercy of whatever beverage or drug was socially accepted to try and deal with the horror inside. Maybe some of you are that person. You see, fear, fear creates us, in us a desire to lock out what is the problem. We either throw it in a room and lock the door or we start locking people out of our lives. We lock out our spouse, very careful to steer everything away from that locked place. We lock out our friends and our families. And if you aren't careful, you will succeed. This past week, my, great, my, uh, my two grandchildren were visiting. And what a, what a lot of fun that is for me. I read a lot of stories, do a lot of tickling. And anyway, this week we had a little opportunity to play a game. And I took the opportunity to video that and I want you to see this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Where is Eliza? Where is Eliza? I can't find her. Is she there? 
Is she there? Where is she? Where is she? I can't find her. Everywhere I look, I don't Dad. see. Oh, Dad. there you are. There you are. Uh, well, that's not how adults play that game. <laughs> this is how adults play that game. It's from Genesis 3, verses 8 to 10. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Do you believe for a second that God had no idea where Adam was? No, when he called out to him, he was giving Adam the chance to say, here I am. Hiding from God and hiding from one another seems to be the direct result of sin. So as you saw, my, grand, my daughter, my granddaughter, thinks that hide and seek is really seek and find. But we adults are so much more than little children. We've gone through all kinds of experiences. We've done many things that we're ashamed of. And so we end up hiding from one another and from God. As I mentioned, I work in the fire department, and a, probably 10 years ago, I was working as the, the acting battalion chief that day, and I heard a call call out for one of our stations, and it was for a suicide call. And it was a particularly gruesome type of, of suicide, and so I decided I needed to head in the direction of that crew because I wanted to see how they were doing. And before I could even get there, I got a phone call from the captain on that crew, and he said, hey, uh, we're going to need to send firefighter so-and-so home. And I said, okay, I'll start making the arrangements, and then uh, met with the crew. And two of the guys, yeah, they were affected by this call because there's no way you can go on call after call where you see the things that happen to people and not be affected by it. And I know there are brothers and sisters in here right now who know exactly what I'm talking about. But the one guy, he was a wreck. Now this guy, he was your quintessential fireman. Every time I had ever seen him, he was the life of the party. He'd been married, I think, four, maybe five times. At fire department functions that I went to, he was probably the first guy to get soused. There was one time I saw him in the parking lot, and he could barely keep his drink level. Stuff was spilling out, and we said, hey, you probably ought to give us the keys to your car, because you shouldn't be driving. Ah, I'll be fine. This time, he was not fine. He was out of work for five, maybe six weeks. And when he came back, he was able to tell us that when he was a child, 
his brother had committed suicide in the exact same way as the person that he had seen that day. And it had torn open the door of a room he thought he had had locked his whole life and that he thought was not affecting him. And in that one moment, he had had to see that that had been affecting his entire life. Each and every one of us that's here today is hiding in one form or another because sometimes that's a part of our lives. And what are we to do about that? What were the disciples going to do? Hiding away. Well, something happened that changed their world. Jesus came and stood in their midst. Now, the doors were locked. I think that the author makes a point of telling us that the doors were locked so that we can go, how did Jesus get in there? Well, this is Jesus as he is now. Not just a man, but also God, as he was even before his death. But now his body is different, and he is not defeated by locks or doors or walls. In fact, if you read the book of Luke, he has just been with two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus, some eight miles away. Those, those folks have hightailed it and run back to Jerusalem to tell their buddies. And Jesus walks in. And what does he say? He says, Shalom Aleichem, which means peace be to you. The presence of Jesus is peace with God. We don't need to hide anymore. We don't need to hide because sin is forgiven. It's been washed clean in the blood of the Lamb, and that should excite you today. Martin Luther King said this in the 60s during the height of the civil rights days in that most stirring speech at the, at the uh, Washington Monument when he was speaking to the crowds, and he said, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty. We are free at last, and that is your truth. That is my truth. We are set free from our sin because Jesus has died on the cross and is alive forevermore and walks into your life and says, Peace be to you. Do you know the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul? There's a verse there that makes me cry every time I say it. I'm going to get through this. But it says this. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Written by a man who lived almost 200 years ago. This truth is timeless. Jesus speaks peace into your life, and he is the only hope for we sinners. Now, does that instantly cure or somehow mystically stop 
our desire to hide? No, it doesn't. It may be a long time before we can share our struggles with one another, and we may never be able to share the specifics. And there's another wonderful thing about Jesus coming and standing in their midst on that fateful Sunday evening. Who was it that just weeks later is now standing in the temple proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. It's that same scared group of men whose lives have now been changed. And in spite of their fear, because their fear was still there, in spite of their fear, they are now standing in the temple proclaiming that the one that you crucified is Lord and Christ. They were changed by Jesus. We are changed by Jesus. Now there's a second view here that I think is worth exploring together. And that is the symbiotic nature of a group of people gathering together in fear. It means that their fear is magnified. So instead of one or two being afraid, Now they're all together in the room and they're all together scared and they've got the doors locked and pretty soon it could could get bigger and the next thing you know, do you see the feeling? Can Can you feel that in your gut? This is the kind of thing that can rob a church of its vitality and it can render our testimony of trust and faith in God as useless because fear is the theme. And there is much to fear in our world. There is an increased likelihood that you could be involved or someone you love or know could be involved in a random act of violence, a shooting, a bombing. Somebody doing something as crazy as driving their car at full speed into a crowded sidewalk. So what is our perspective as Christians? I think it's summed up by something Jesus said. It's in John 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We should never forget our message as Christians. We can't let the world and the fears of the world rob us of this joy that we have in Christ. We can't let the possibility of pain and sorrow dilute the message of salvation and freedom. Now we're taking steps as a church to try and make our facility a little more secure. You'll find that some doors that have been opened in the past may now be locked. Uh, We're gonna be coming up with ways to perhaps cover windows thinking about access points, that kind of stuff. The reality is is that if someone was highly determined and militarily organized, it wouldn't matter what kind of locks we put on the door. We've already talked about that. But we're not going to become fearful. We must also set a guard against locking the doors on one another. That happens when there are areas of our lives that we can't admit to anyone 
We set that door and we lock it against each other. It's not just throwing something awful that we don't want to remember anymore into a room, but it's actually putting up barriers between us. Soon your ability to respond spiritually gets impacted as you steer conversations away from something you're trying to hide. As you are asked to be involved in teaching or helping out somewhere, and that barrier rears its ugly head and you say, "Uh, I can't. You see, there are no secret agent Christians. We are all part of the body of Christ together. We may have things in our lives that we don't wish to share, but we, we don't want that to become a barrier. That's why Jesus encourages us to confess our sins to one another. Now, I'm not talking about a long, detailed, blow-by-blow account of everything evil you've ever done. That's not what it's saying. But it is saying that there's a, there's a need for an openness, a, a there-but-for-the-grace-of-God-go-I kind of mentality that is infused with the love of Jesus. What is it that attracts people to a church that's under persecution? Is it they're hunkering down in fear together? No. It's the perspective they have that if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can defeat the power of forgiveness and the grace of shalom, the joy in the midst of suffering and the peace that passes all understanding? I want to close this morning by reading out of Romans chapter 8, a very familiar passage, but it speaks directly into our church this morning. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the word we need to hear today. That's what we need in our lives. That's what brings peace. So as you struggle with the things that you feel you want to hide, the things that create fear in you, I want you to remember that Jesus is there speaking peace. Sometimes he speaks it through his word as we've read today. But most times he speaks it 
through you to one another. And that is the ministry of our church. That is what we're here to do, to love each other well, to know that God is reaching out through us to one another to heal, to bring peace, to bring wholeness, and to bring life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have given us a wonderful place to live. We have the promise of heaven in eternity, but we have the, the reality of the church, a place where we can love one another, a place where our needs can be met, where our fears can be allayed, where we can hear the words of peace spoken into our lives. Father, I pray that you would give us the, the strength and maybe just a little spark of, of courage to reveal to one another that we struggle, that we are sometimes beset with sin and that life has not always been good for us. But just like my little granddaughter, I pray that we would say, here I am. This is me. You have found me. In Jesus' name.